and welcome to Jiu-Jitsu 22. I'm Tish Durkin, and today's highly unusual theme is political gratitude. This is partly because this episode drops on Thanksgiving Day, but mainly because after the midterms, all Americans, Democrats especially, but all Americans, have a lot to be grateful for. First and foremost, I am grateful that our democracy is alive and kicking. Before the election, I dreaded the possibility of finding out that it was dead or dying, and I dreaded it in the worst, most dry mouth, insomniac, cranky, queasy, don't dare look at the news way. I was truly terrified of waking up on November 9th to the confirmation that the polls and the pundits were right, and the American people really don't mind fascism as long as the fascists come across as being good for the price of gas, and that average folks will embrace not just Donald Trump, but his whole stable of bigots and grifters and traitors as long as they're reasonably exciting at rallies and good on TV. But that turned out to be wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. So wrong that the less certifiable the Republican candidate, the more likely that that candidate was to have won. So wrong that Democrats almost held on to the House and may even gain a seat in the Senate. So wrong that despite a third-party candidate taking almost 10% of the vote, the Democrat won for governor of Oregon. So wrong that Rupert Murdoch's media outlets and many of the Republicans they control are calling Trump a loser from whom it is time to move on, which, you know, they may very well stop doing so as to turn right back around and start worshiping their orange god all over again, as they've done several times before. But in the meantime, it's fun to say how wrong, wrong, wrong everybody was to think Americans had so brought into GOP demagoguery on inflation and crime and other kitchen table issues, they'd be willing to burn down the whole house. I know, I know, I know, there were plenty of disappointments in this midterm, a couple of disgraces, and probably a whole dissertation to be done on what level of incompetence a Republican would have to demonstrate to fail to get reelected statewide in Texas. No question, there is an awful lot of fighting for liberals and true moderates still to do. But it's a whole lot easier to fight when you feel you've got more than a snowball's chance in hell of winning. In that sense, the midterms have made me one happy warrior. Happy, and again, grateful. I am grateful to every election official, and even more so to every election worker across this country. Since November 8th, we've been so busy complaining about how long it takes to count votes in some places that we have failed to marvel at the fact that in the current atmosphere, anyone turned up to count any votes at all. We are living in a time of record low unemployment and a real labor squeeze, which also happens to be a time of heightened political violence and intimidation, from the death threats being tossed at school board members to the hammer at the head of Paul Pelosi. In other words, this is a time when it's pretty easy for people to get paid more and treated better for doing something other than physically placing themselves between our election processes and the mob. But enough Americans did place themselves in exactly that spot. So if you find yourself spending Thanksgiving with any such Americans, give them the drumstick, give them the remote control during the game, give them the first and last slices of pie. They have given us our country back. As a Democrat, I am grateful to the Republicans and to the conservative-leaning independents who have just saved our national ass. That goes for Liz Cheney, who urged Republicans to vote for Alyssa Slotkin and Katie Hobbs. It goes for Adam Kinzinger, who endorsed election-upholding candidates for Secretary of State, most of whom were Democrats. 
It goes for the sizable list of prominent Republicans in Pennsylvania who supported Democratic gubernatorial candidate Josh Shapiro over the anti-Semite insurrectionist blowhard Doug Mastriano. It goes for Colorado State Representative Don Corum, who lost to Lauren Boebert in the GOP congressional primary and went on to endorse and really work hard for Boebert's general election opponent, Adam Frisch, on the grounds that Frisch was a decent person and Boebert was a danger. And it especially goes for all the rank-and-file Republicans and conservative-leaning independents who, when given the opportunity to vote for a MAGA maniac, either voted for a Democrat or left that space on the ballot blank. Look, I'm as high on these midterm results as anyone. No one could be more eager than I to read those results as a love letter to liberalism. In the still palpable haze of pleasant surprise over how cremated we were not, I'd love to believe that Arizona, for example, has elected an entire slate of Democrats to statewide office because they finally see the light on health care and workers' rights and immigration. But being fairly lucid most of the time, I realize it's because a critical mass of right-wing Arizonans picked left of center over lunatic. Fingers crossed that the same holds true in the Senate runoff in Georgia. But even if it doesn't, Democrats need to bear in mind slews of our ideological opponents have just picked country over party, sanity over insanity, functionality over fanaticism. That does not bode well for the prospect of capital D Democratic dominance in generally red or even reddish places, but it bodes very well for the prospect of small d democracy throughout the country. I am grateful to young people for turning out in near record numbers, and I am almost as grateful for the fact that what is considered a sky-high rate of turnout among that cohort was only about 27%. Lots of room to grow. I am grateful that 2022 has driven what really ought to be the final nail in the coffin of the idea that the Democratic Party consists of snobby, overeducated coastal elites, while Republicans represent the real Americans of the heartland. Given the working-class neighborhoods of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, and the country clubs to be found in Texas, Missouri, and Michigan, this has always been a moronic illusion. But this past election really and truly should have destroyed it once and for all. Democrats now control the governorships and the state legislatures in Michigan, in Minnesota, in Colorado, in Illinois. Wisconsin and Kansas have both re-elected Democrats to serve their second terms as governor. Meanwhile, New York and New Jersey have both voted less blue than predicted, a wake-up call that state Democrats had better not snooze through. I am grateful that in every state where the question was put to them directly, voters defended the health and the autonomy of women. In California, Vermont, and Michigan, voters opted to enshrine the right to reproductive freedom in their state constitutions. Conversely, in Kansas and Kentucky, they voted against constitutionally enshrining the notion that no such right exists. In Montana, where the state constitution protects the right to abortion as a matter of privacy, voters considered a so-called born-alive referendum, which would have mandated that babies born extremely prematurely or with severe anomalies, as well as those vanishingly few that survive abortion, receive emergency medical treatment. 
The medical profession opposed this on the grounds that it would force such infants to undergo painful and futile procedures rather than pass away peacefully in the loving presence of their parents. And yes, it is possible for loving parents to have opted to try and deliver a terribly imperiled fetus and for that process to end in a way that medically counts as abortion. Mercifully, this measure also failed. I am grateful to the losers who created the winners. If Tim Ryan hadn't made his unsuccessful bid for the Senate in Ohio, Marcy Kaptur and Greg Landsman may not have made their successful bids for Congress from that increasingly red state. Stacey Abrams and Beto O'Rourke have both registered thousands of voters who have elected and will go on to elect many Democrats, albeit not Democrats named Stacey Abrams or Beto O'Rourke. In fairness, the same is true of New York GOP gubernatorial nominee Lee Zeldin, who probably deserves credit for the blue congressional seats that flip red. But I'm not grateful for that. I am grateful to Adam Frisch for running so hard and so nearly successfully against Lauren Boebert in a supposedly safe Republican district that is not going to be considered safe next time around. And I am grateful that he drew such neon bright contrast with her right through his post-election urging of his supporters not to send his campaign money for a recount that was going to be automatic under the law and thus publicly financed. Boebert, true to Trump reform, solicited contributions anyway. I am grateful for the relentlessly beaten up and ridiculed old geezers who have carried the Democratic Party and this country through some of the hardest times imaginable. Often derided as pathetically demented, Joe Biden has actually turned out to be brilliantly deaf. Deaf to the chorus that urged him to castigate Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, each of whom ended up supporting key Biden legislation in limited but significant fashion. Deaf to the criticism that he should have made his September 1st Philadelphia address to the nation less about workaday political issues and more purely about democracy. Deaf to the equal but opposite criticism that he should have made his midterm eve address to the nation more about workaday political issues and less purely about democracy. Deaf to the barbs that embattled Democrats such as Abigail Spanberger had thrown at him by way of achieving politically necessary distance. Any equivalent of which behavior on the part of any Republican would have thrown Donald Trump into a stupid and self-defeating rage. Clearly, Biden has some real flaws, including his age. And it would be foolhardy to mistake Democrats' surprisingly strong midterm performance for evidence that voters will dismiss those flaws in 2024. But for crying out loud, the man has unified and strengthened NATO against Vladimir Putin. He has racked up more substantive legislative victories than any president since LBJ. He has just led his party through a more successful first-term midterm than did Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, or Barack Obama. May we all stutter and dodder and blunder to such powerful effect. As for the other octogenarian Democrat in the news, Nancy Pelosi, I'm not sure there's any House Republican who could beat her in a physical fight, let alone a political one. Nonetheless, I am glad that Pelosi has chosen to end her historic, epically accomplished, and delightfully Trump-trouncing tenure in the House leadership, and that that choice arrived upon, as it was, from a place of unexpected electoral strength, was truly hers to make. The same decision having been reached by Pelosi's two longtime lieutenants, Majority Leader Steny Hoyer and Majority Whip Jim Clyburn, 
It portends a smooth transition to a new triumvirate, Hakeem Jeffries, Catherine Clark, and Pete Aguilar, who, coming to power as heirs apparent rather than as usurpers, will be willing and able to benefit from their predecessors' advice and counsel. I probably shouldn't be grateful that, by contrast, Kevin McCarthy is set up for a speakership so fraught and miserable he'll wonder why he sold his soul to get it. But I am grateful for that nonetheless. Don't get me wrong. The fact that American democracy is still alive does not mean that all is well. Key provisions of the Voting Rights Act remain on the cutting room floor, courtesy of a Supreme Court that was significantly less reactionary by composition than the Supreme Court is now. The legislative maps of many states remain gerrymandered. Scores of election deniers are still sitting in the U.S. Congress, some of them out-and-out sympathizers with the seditionists of January 6th. Very ominously for those who care about voting rights, reproductive rights, workers' rights, and climate change, let alone smooth Democratic sailing in 2024, the Republicans can claim Florida, Ohio, and Texas much more confidently than Democrats can claim Michigan, Wisconsin, or God knows Arizona or Nevada. And a House of Representatives in which Republicans have a razor-thin majority is still a House of Representatives in which Republicans have the majority. But two weeks ago, in every place where it really mattered, the worst, most dangerous candidates lost and lost big. And America won. We don't know how the elections will go in 2024, but we do know there will be elections in 2024. This Thanksgiving, I am fine with being grateful just for that. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll check out more of Jiu-Jitsu 22. In the run-up to the holidays, I've got jury duty and my son has time off from school, so all bets are off. But I'm still going to try to have a new episode ready to drop every Thursday morning.